welcome to Matt and Kevin Talk Church, two pastors, two old friends from two different denominations on two different coasts talking about faith, culture, the Bible, and the ins and outs of church ministry. I'm Matt Curtis, pastor of Decision Life Church and Evangelical Free Church in Wairika, California. And I'm Kevin Sheehan, the associate pastor of Reformed Presbyterian Church, a PCA church in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the podcast. Well, this is our 10th anniversary special. Well, not 10th anniversary, I guess. We're not that famous or cool and not that old either. But this is our 10th edition, 10th episode of Matt and Kevin Talk Church. So we figured we should have some sort of celebration, but our budget's pretty limited for fireworks. So instead, we have a special guest with us today. So this is not just Matt and Kevin Talk Church. This is Matt and Kevin and Rob talk church so we well, want to welcome arguably to the sh- would have been a better co-host for this podcast than me so or or than me but yeah it could be that i'll be out of a job after this episode <laughs> but, 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 but we'll see what happens <laughs> we want to introduce to you rob edenfield rob is the pastor of treasure coast presbyterian church in stewart florida but more importantly than that rob is our friend i'm sure that is really what rob wants on his business card um rob and i have known each other since 1995 can you believe that? That's like 25 uh, or 25, but yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> I, I, I refuse to believe that it's been that long. Uh, so uh, yeah, we've known each other for 25 years. We, we met in college. We were housemates or roommates for three years of college, which for Rob and I was half of college. We were not math majors, but Rob Enfield is with us today. So welcome, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys. It's good to be here. So Rob, tell us about yourself a little bit. After meeting Kevin and spending three of the best senior years of college that I did have uh, with him, I went and joined crew. My time in crew in college had exposed me to short-term missions. And one of the places that I went to was East Asia. And to be honest, I mean, I, I could give you the long story, but the short version is I felt very clearly called to extended mission work in East Asia. And so kind of reoriented myself towards that after college and went over thinking I would be there the remainder of my life. And uh, with that kind of perspective in mind, really devoted myself to studying the language, the culture, really just putting down roots. The plan that the Lord had on my heart at that time was to spend 10 or 12 years really learning the language and the culture and then return to the States for a seminary degree and get that degree and perhaps ordination, and then return to East Asia to serve within the the underground seminary community, bringing a theological education to the underground church that didn't really have access to the kind of education that we uh, take for granted here in a lot of ways. Uh, So that was the plan, and after 12 years overseas, during which time I got married, had children, and three kids, well, only two of them while I was overseas, though, Uh, We came back to the States. I'd been doing distance education at seminary uh, at RTS Orlando and uh, planned to come back and spend about a year and a half just wrapping things up before I went back overseas. The Lord, in the Lord's providence, the door to overseas ministry just kind of closed shut while we were in the States, um, mostly just for family reasons and the kind of the needs of my children, uh, special needs daughter that kind of could not really be cared for overseas the way she needed to be. And so here I was, a a 12-year missionary, 
finishing up my seminary degree and realizing I, I had nowhere to go with this. And we were exploring a lot of options. And uh, at the same time, I'd been serving and interning at a local PCA church in the same town as the seminary I was going. And during that time, I was really building a relationship with the pastor there and seeing what he was doing in ministry. I'd always ruled out pastoral ministry. I said, you know, that is not something I'm gifted for at all. I had a lot of friends who had gone right into the pastorate out of college or out of seminary. And uh, just hearing what they were doing and hearing what their experience was, I said, you know what, that is not me. And uh, two things were happening. I was having my professors hearing me say that, and they were challenging me, challenging me, saying, you're wrong. We appreciate your viewpoint, but you are wrong. This is your gifting. And at the same time, seeing the pastorate as it existed in the church I was going to really challenged my views of what pastoral ministry could be and, and was, and starting to see, hey, I, I actually am equipped to do this. And so uh, after graduating and, and kind of taking a couple years to look around, we settled on a church that was looking for a pastor here in, in Stewart, Florida, uh, the treasure coast of Florida. I've never, never envisioned myself a Florida boy, but uh, we've been here for about four years now and uh, just love what we do. It's, a, it's an interesting community. It's the first time I've not, not been in a college environment, you know, either adjacent to a college community or in college or working with college students. This is primarily a retirement and recreation community. We have a lot of retired people, uh, a lot of people retiring from all parts of the country. We have snowbirds coming in for the, uh, the winter months. We have people who are just going up and down the coast in their boats and they, they find anchorage nearby. We're about 100 yards from the water. They'll, they'll drop anchor and, and walk over to church on Sunday morning and worship with us there. Uh, but we also have a lot of young families who, who live in the area here as well. Um, so it's, it's a, just a very different community that I'm used to working with and ministering to. Uh, but I, I've really grown to love the job that I have. Helps that I have a wonderful church, wonderful session, and a wonderful community here. I was cracking up a little bit when you were talking about how I'll never be a pastor. That's not for me. <laughs> so, oh, man. Tell God your plans, right? Yeah, yeah works out for anybody i said the same thing because i'd grown up in a pastor's family and it had kind of a front row seat to some of the carnage that that can be yeah. and well here we are so yeah i, I never yeah. planned to be a pastor either it kind of surprised me that i wound up as one so here's and ironically so many guys i think we probably all knew guys who swore they were going to be pastors and were passionate about that and are now working somewhere else yeah 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 uh, so Rob, by the way, you survived the tropical storm hurricane, whatever that breezed through the other day. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, it was, it was aiming right at us. We made category one preparations and basically nothing happened. There was a, there was a nice breeze Sunday morning. So that was it. Okay. Well, Matt, Matt survived uh, wildfires a couple of weeks ago. So you guys have yeah. had your run-ins with natural disasters. Yeah, it was, I had my go bag ready, but it turned out okay. The really fun thing was I was scheduled on Sunday morning to preach about Jesus calming the storm. I mean, that, that's just kind of, we're going through Matthew and that's just where I was. So we, we pre-recorded it Friday evening and just went ahead and, and aired it live, you know, on Sunday morning, not knowing how that would play out. Right. Yeah. Well, you did leave out one detail in your biography, a pretty important detail, and that's where you spent Y2K. I spent Y2K at Matt Curtis's place. Yeah, that's 20 true. years ago with yeah. Kevin Sheehan. That's a, yeah. Not the last time the three of us were together, but it was no. the first time. The three yeah. Of us were yeah. That was a fun two days. 
memorable for sure. Matt's house in rural New Hampshire, where we figured yeah. if Y2K was as bad as everyone thought it might be, that we'd probably be able to survive for a little while. And most of us did. <laughs> we miss Nate, but it's, it's, <laughs> well, thanks, Rob. Again, welcome to the show. So we're going to take a little bit of a break here and come back in the second half of the show. We want to hear kind of more about how Rob's time as a missionary and his thoughts on, on missions helps to inform and what kind of characteristics overlap with being a pastor as well. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Um, we, we're here with Rob Enfield talking to us about mission work and uh, pastoral work and how they're the same and how they're different. And so, Rob, I just wanted to ask you about like making that transition, for like, like, you, like you talked about, from missionary uh, to pastor. So tell us about that transition because those are, I mean, there's a lot that the same, but there's also, they're kind of different identities and ways of thinking of yourself. Yeah, that, it, it's not an easy transition because there's the phenomenon of reverse culture shock, which mm-hmm. is, uh, the, you know, you're familiar with culture shock going into new culture and it's just, everything is different and weird. And, uh, but there's, there is such a thing called reverse culture shock. Once you really, um, spent some time in another culture, returning to your home culture can be very disorienting. And so I was going through that as well. Um, where you're realizing I don't feel at home in my own culture the way I once did. I've changed. The culture has changed. The people around me have changed. Uh, I don't feel comfortable with things that I used to feel comfortable with. I miss things. Uh, and so that whole process played into it as well. But yeah, it, just losing that missionary identity, I think one of the hardest things about that when you're on a mission team, and I was thankful to be on a, a wonderful teams of people. I was overseas. You're surrounded by people that are your coworkers and your community and your de facto church. And you have a common purpose. You're all working towards the same thing together. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. And you are clearly identifiable. Like your whole life is centered around this. I mean, there, there's, yeah, sure. You have time off, you have free time, but really it's clear that you are there for a purpose and, and that's all that that's why you are in that country in that culture and to be removed from that and then suddenly you know even in the pastorate you're you're in a position where well there's these people that you know, even even on my session the elders that I work with they're not full-time in this gig I mean they're they're very busy with other things yeah and I'm you know in a way feel pretty isolated uh, less yeah. so now having an assistant pastor but you know, be kind of isolated in the sense of at times feeling like you're the only one that's really full-time on board with this. It is a big adjustment. That was kind of hard. What helped was starting to recognize that the skills that I developed in my mission environment were very applicable in the pastorate in ways I hadn't really anticipated. Yeah. So what are some of the ways that being a missionary has helped you be a better pastor? Well, I think one of my strengths as a missionary, uh, and I even trained incoming missionaries and trained East Asian missionaries that we were preparing to send into other cultures to Central Asia and to the Middle East. One of the things that I especially enjoyed training people on was uh, cultural learning, how to enter into a new culture and to be a good observer and to research and to, uh, to find those things that, that weird you out or that you don't understand and how to dig deeper and start to understand not only why those behaviors manifest, but also what deep uh, cultural beliefs and cultural values they expose as you learn how to ask good questions. And I loved that aspect of my job. 
I love being able to explore the culture and, and dig down and understand the worldview we were working in. Because really, in any ministry, if gosh, um, I'm, I, I always talk with my hands when I do this, but if you can picture concentric circles and the outer circle is behavior, underneath every behavior is, is, a, is a belief. And underneath that belief is a, another circle, the, the values. And then the very core there is the, the worldview. That's the right. cost worldview model. Right. And very often in ministry, we try to attack from the outside going in. And just every ministry, United States, foreign missions, whatever, we try to change the behavior first. And we might see some temporary change. But if, if the core remains unchanged, the core worldview and values and beliefs will always express themselves in predictable behaviors. And what I loved was getting to that worldview and bringing the gospel to that point instead of just here's the behavior that has to change in your life. And to realize that that's really what we're supposed to be doing in any gospel ministry, in any discipleship ministry. We're not after just changing outward behaviors. We're about changing the entire way you see the world and starting to recognize that even as an American, well, no, to realize that I am an American and the people that I'm ministering to are Americans and that doesn't mean that American Christianity is the default version of Christianity and everything else is, the, is an adaptation. That's its own that We have our own right cultural there. adjustments of the gospel, some good, some bad. That's good. Yeah. So that helped to see that, hey, I need to look at my own culture. And uh, you know, whether I'm in California, Florida, Virginia, Pennsylvania, wherever I'm living, American culture and local culture comes into play and it shapes the way people respond to the gospel in evangelism and therefore needs to shape our message. But it also shapes the way that people live out as Christians, the gospel they've been taught. And so the things I need to address from the pulpit or in counseling, the, the way we need to structure all our ministry activities at the church needs to be aware of the, uh, the cultural shortcomings that we have, the way in which as Americans we fail to be Christian that are unique to our culture. For example, uh, one of the things that I include in so many of my sermons is, and so much of my teaching is this expectation of financial security, the looking ahead to a life of leisure in retirement, the way in which families overschedule their time, especially with kids, like taking them from one thing to another, the way that Sabbath rest is optional in our minds. Uh, all these things really derive from our cultural values of, of busyness, financial security, independence, self-autonomy in my schedule. All these things are very, very American. And the gospel needs to confront and challenge those things as it takes root in an American culture. Yeah, that's great. Um, so my wife lived overseas for eight years as a missionary as well. Uh, so we've talked about this kind of stuff some. And one of the well, and then when she came back to the States, she worked in a ministry that ministered to um, Latino college students, so minority college students. And one of the things that we learned in all that is that the majority culture has a hard time seeing itself. Yes. You know, when, you're, when you're in the minority culture, which she was when she was overseas, she could s sort of see the prevailing culture because it was so different than her own as, as a minority in that context. And then kind of vice versa, when she was back in the States, but working with minority students, it was easier for them to recognize the way that the majority culture in America works, but yeah. it's hard for those of us who are kind of in the majority culture to really see it, you know, cause it's just, it's the, it's the water we swim in. That's, 
Yeah, great phrase. How do you then um, help people to understand some of the cultural trappings in which they live? How do we even see our own culture? Because it's so, it's almost, it's so near to us. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we tend to assume, every, every culture assumes they're culturally neutral, that, that we, we don't have any bias, uh, but that's not the case. And so the, one of the prophetic roles of gospel ministry and the preacher and the teacher of the word is to, to identify those things, to study the culture while studying the word and to bring the word to bear on things. And that's, that's one reason I value preaching the whole counsel of God. I like that phrase that Paul uses in Acts 20, just I've not failed to preach the whole counsel of God. I don't just pick and choose passages or books that I want to preach from. We try to just pick a whole book and then just go through it. Yeah. And that means at times we're going to be confronted with things that really make us uncomfortable. And it should. Like Sermon on the Mount should really make us uncomfortable. Ecclesiastes should hit us like a sledgehammer with our comfortability in today and our plans for the future and our belief in stability. So a lot of it is just researching, studying, observing these things and say, Hey, why, why aren't any guys coming out to Bible study? Starting to dig beneath that behavior and find what is, what is the value behind that behavior? What is the belief that's underneath that? What is the worldview at the core, the belief that my time is my own or my belief that whatever it is, we have to start to target that. And you, I just want to comment on something you said about being the majority culture. You don't see that. Even as a missionary, that's a struggle. Because as a missionary, what we often do is we come in and we're the teachers. We're the wise ones. And so we teach to this foreign culture. And what we end up doing is imparting our own cultural failures to that culture, or at least attempting to. And what I loved being a part of in my experience as a missionary was being on multi cultural teams where I was it wasn't a team of Americans ministering to a team of East Asians it was a team of American and Korean or American and Singaporean or American and East Asian together working as peers where they were in a position to continue confronting me on my views saying no that sounds more American than biblical and here's why hmm. and that's those are more of the interactions we need is to not be so isolated in our cultural exposure, which is easier for some people than others. Right, right. As you move down to Stuart, what are some of the ways that you kind of proactively, proactively went about kind of decipher what the local culture was? Because it's not just an American culture. It's not even just a Florida culture, but it's, it's a, you know, I mean, every community, yeah. every sub-community, every, every household even has its own culture. Yeah. Microculture, if you want to call it that. So, I mean, how do you kind of proactively say like, okay, I'm going to try to figure out this place. What is this place yeah. like? Well, one thing I did that, yeah, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but one thing that I did well, I did a lot of things poorly, but one thing I did well. Tell us some of those too. Yeah. When I, <laughs> when I was interviewing and when I was beginning is I told the session, I told the pastoral search committee, I even told the whole church, I'm not going to do anything big. No, no big changes the first year, maybe two years. Because it wouldn't make sense for me to start changing things before I had a chance to study and know the culture of this church, of this town, of, of this area. And so when, maybe it was about the first two years just spent observing, you know, changing a few little things, but nothing, no big strategies, no big ministry plans came out that first year. And as much as possible, I tried to get the, uh, the session as well as the deacons 
in conversation about what are the problems we're seeing and can we have some longer conversations about what might be at the root of those that was my first big strategy was let's just let's all these things manifest as behaviors what are the behaviors that we're seeing now how do we dig beneath the behaviors with you know not seeing a lot of young families being present or not seeing a lot of fellowship going on between the generations or let's start to ask questions about what might be the cause of that. And then let's start trying to change some things at a deeper level, not just surface things. So that was my main approach. But then in addition, just there are things that are going to be generally true almost anywhere you go in America, wherever there's white American culture, you're going to see some consistency of, of the cultural patterns that are contrary to the gospel. You're going to see an obsession with money. You're going to see a, an, an emphasis on, on independence and, and self-autonomy and these things that, that Jesus confronts clearly and we can't explain away. So focus a little bit on that. Bring that to bear. That comes in almost every sermon. Just here's a point of application that strikes at your belief that if you have enough money, you'll be okay. Or that, you know, if you, if you just, whatever it is, always looping that in, almost making it a consistent thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Getting a bigger boat won't make you happy. That's one thing I say here. You think <laughs> if you have the, a bigger boat, you're going to be happier. And you're not. If you weren't happy with one you have, you're not going to be happy with a bigger one. You know, that sort of thing. It, it, it is a matter of research. And see, that's the thing that I, uh, that I learned was, as a missionary, I had to be trained in this. And I, they wouldn't even let me out on the field until I'd been trained in how are you going to interpret the culture and apply the gospel. We need that same training as pastors because pastors should be cross-cultural missionaries because we're trying to speak a biblical culture into our own culture. The challenge is that most often we are within that culture and are therefore blind to some of the things that need to be challenged. Right. right. I would just say that maybe one of the things that are that is different, at least this is true where I am, and I don't know if the fact it's the same for you guys, you're, that idea about speaking a biblical culture into a not into a culture that isn't biblical yeah but what if the culture you're in like thinks it's biblical you know what i mean yeah like 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 and and, and when you're bringing out like the hey you know you don't need a bigger boat or you know care, care for the poor is actually a really big deal in the bible in fact if you read the old you, you can't practically turn to any passage in the prophets without that being an issue i mean that's part of the for me that that's part of the deal is there's just a biblical illiteracy to some extent where they, but they think they're biblically literate. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's again where I sometimes go back to the whole counsel of God idea. In my experience, people who are biblically literate and and I could be wrong with your community, but I have a wonderfully biblically literate congregation that knows Paul really well and, and one or two gospels and some Psalms and some stories and in my four years here, we've gone through at least three minor prophets. Yeah. Because I just feel like that really presses, hits those pressure points that we're, we can be blind to. Yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, if you, that was part of my reason for going to Lamentations. Yeah. It was a yeah. neglected book that we just ignore. And uh, I, I have a commitment, well, not a, well, a general principle with very few exceptions of doing an Old Testament book and then a New Testament book, yeah. like rotating back and forth. Same thing. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like you're just, you, you know, you're going to the same well all the time. And yeah. yeah. 
but we need yeah. Habakkuk. You know what I mean? Like we need Nahum. We need, you know, we need that stuff. Ecclesiastes. Yeah, we need wisdom literature as well. I mean, I think this is probably more so in, in my tradition or our tradition, me and Rob, just being a, a PCA background and a reformed background and people tend to take very high value and, you know, tulip and the five solas and whatnot and and their sort of their bread and butter is just like those sorts of issues those sorts of doctrinal stances um and not and not having a more broad understanding of the full counsel of god you know all of scripture that it's more than just you know kind of soteriology um but you know like i said like reading through the prophets is just sort of eye-opening because it's like a lot of people just don't know how to do that and i've even had people tell me it's like I don't know the Old Testament like at all. Like I know, I know David was a good guy and I know Psalm 23 and, <laughs> and God created the world in six days. And other than that, like I, there's just a whole lot of blanks in just my knowledge base and certainly in my kind of how to understand and interpret the Old Testament. So a lot of that is just trying to fill in some of those gaps, um, kind of like what you guys have been saying. And understand like there's just a lot more to, you know, quote unquote Christian living. And a lot of those areas are, you know, as Professor as Robson's saying, really kind of strike at the core of, I think, some of our kind of majority American culture. Um, God's concern with the poor. God's really just emphasis on community. You know, speaking to people in our culture who are very individualistic. It's written almost entirely to communities, with like a few exceptions, like Third John or you know, Philemon or whatever. Right. Even for me personally, and that's been, you know, that particular one has been a hard one where I kind of, I, you know, the individualism is something that I've enjoyed yeah. And, yeah. and felt my whole life. So, but yeah, but understanding, you know, seeing the big picture and getting all of those, being able to read the whole counsel of God has helped to challenge me personally in some of those preconceived ideas. And in some ways it, it, it requires us to, uh, to re-illustrate or restructure a view of what it means to be a Christian in America. That's the challenging thing when you're in an environment where the majority is at least claiming to be Christian, but to, to peel back and say, well, you say you are, and that to be Christian means you have to look this way. You have to vote this way. You have to like these things and, and not like these things. It is possible to be Christian and to, to not see things that way and to actually be a very faithful Christian and to not see things that way. And that, that's a delicate process. I think it was uh, Soren Kierkegaard that said that uh, nothing requires greater care than a delusion. It, it wraps itself around the heart like, like barbed wire. And you have to delicately peel it away or else you're going to just do more damage than good. And that's in some ways the job of a pastor in a Christian society. Yeah. Good thing we're all known for our tact and winsomeness. Mm, yes. Well, you guys are. I mean, I'll I'll just own that. That's not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've known both of you for twenty five years, and uh, yeah, let's just say it's an area in which I can confidently say all three of us have room to grow. <laughs> but, I mean, the reason I said the pastor is not for me was partly because I was like, I can't speak gently to people. It's <laughs> my weakness. <laughs> Well, you know, there is that famous line about Matt Curtis. Matt Curtis, he's a big rock that falls on people. <laughs> to, be, to be fair. And anyway, we can't get into the story. We don't have time, but we'll, we'll discuss it offline. But it's, yeah. <laughs> big rock. 
that that was you know talking about 22 year old matt and i'd like to think that 43 year old matt is you know has at least had some of the edges worked on some (laughs) but i guess any sampling of my sermons will give you an idea that i don't necessarily pull punches as it were i mean i just i don't know how to do that like i don't have i just don't have that um well, I don't know if Kevin ever knew what uh, what was said about 20-year-old Rob by my uh, college sweet mate. He was unknowingly talking to one of my good friends, Dan Logie. Good old Dan. My friend Dan was meeting this guy who actually lived next door to me in college. And they were walking to because Dan was going to meet me for dinner. And he was 10 minutes late. And I'm standing there fuming about him being late. And before they're within earshot, this guy, who's, who's a foreign exchange student, and founded the Atheists Are People Too Club on our campus. He's talking to my friend Dan Logan. He says, oh, look, there's Rob Edenfield. He's probably really angry about something right now. <laughs> that was my reputation. Oh, man. Grace. It, yeah, the one, there's many beautiful things about long friendships. Is one is that you see the way that God changes us over, over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because 25 years ago, there's no way any of us had any business being a pastor. <laughs> there are days I wonder now if it's, <laughs> oh, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, well, any uh, kind of final thoughts for us, Rob, as as we as we wrap up? Uh, the final thoughts would just be to encourage you know not just pastors but every believer to be a student of our of our own culture and to realize that if there's something in God's word that is. Uh, it just feels weird. That might be a pressure point to explore and realize that it only feels weird because it doesn't fit in with what you've been taught to think it means to be a Christian because God's word is going to be consistent and, uh, and to, to read the whole counsel of God and see what it says, not only to you, but to all who live in the, the country you're blessed to live in. Right. And, yeah, you said it's not just for pastors, and I think that's right. There's there's actually very few things in Scripture that are just for pastors. Well, uh, you know, really nothing. It's, just, it's, re- it's really like, you know, you look at the qualifications for elders or deacons, like all those characteristics should be true of every Christian. Yes. And so as you say that, I'm thinking it's like, you know, we all have a responsibility to be ambassadors for Christ. And ambassadors, just sort of almost by definition, are people that go to a foreign land. And so we're all strangers in a strange land as we're citizens of heaven yet living on earth. And we all have a call to, to witness to the gospel with our neighbors, with our friends. And, and so, you know, we should all have in some ways a missionary mindset. And part of that, and especially in today's culture, which is so divisive, is trying to get past the behavioral stuff, as you say, kind of like that outer concentric circle and trying to get to the heart of what is this person's, you know, worldview that, and what are their values that are driving everything? And sometimes what we find is that their, their, their values are really the same as ours, surprisingly sometimes. Like, oh, well, they kind of value a lot of the same things. They're just sort of expressing it differently because of experiences that they've had or, or whatever it is. So I think part, you know, part of the exhortation perhaps to just all of us, just as Christians, um, is, to, is to kind of do our homework in our own culture if we're to be you know, faithful witnesses and good ambassadors for Christ, we need to understand our culture. And that, and that means getting past the, you know, the caricature screaming matches and whatnot. Yeah. And especially in our divisive age of understanding more deeply, um, not just the memes and the pithy arguments, but what is, what is really driving it? What's the heart? What's the worldview? Where are they hurting? Um, and how does the gospel speak into that? And, and, and just to add to that, 
we got we got to be careful about assigning bad motives uh, because sometimes, oftentimes it's not that people have bad motives; it's that there's there's like Rob says, underlying belief systems, values, worldviews, etc. It's easy to just write someone off as evil, um, but most of the time, but most of the time, that's not that's not true. I mean, sometimes it's true, but usually it's more complicated than that. And I, I think especially we this mode of assigning motives, especially and for me anyway, my own motives are hard enough to work out sometimes. Like they're they're complicated. Right. And so trying to figure out what somebody else's motives are, I just think is a dangerous game. So charity there, especially when you're doing the kind of deep cultural work that Rob's talking about, I think having a posture of charity is important. Each of you be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I'll be teaching that passage here soon. Yeah, that should be uh, on everybody's login screen for their social media accounts. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Rob, for being with us again. Rob Edenfield, pastor of Treasure Coast Presbyterian Church. You can Google that. I'm sure it'll bring you to the website. You can listen to Rob's sermons. They're worth listening to. They're very good. Uh, So you've been listening to Matt and Kevin Talk Church with Rob Edenfield. If you'd like to contact us, you can always email us us at mattandkevintalkchurch at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mattandkevintalkchurch. That being said, I'm Matt, and I'm Kevin, and he's Rob, and we've been talking church, and we've been talking about how missions and the pastorate and Christian life overlap. Be warm and be fed. Mm -hmm.